Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. So the Pharisees, in this familiar gospel reading, they come at Jesus with a question about which commandment is the greatest. They're trying to trap Jesus. It's actually a lawyer that asks the nitpicky question. It's interesting just to note that at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he had three temptations or three tests put to him by the devil in the desert. Matthew chapter four. Now a few days before his execution, at the end of Matthew's gospel, in the last three weeks of readings from Matthew 22, he has three tests offered by the religious authorities. These nitpickers of the law know that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Commands about lying and murdering, commandments about what to eat, commandments about how to treat your oxen and how to treat your parents. But every Jew would have known from the time he or she sat on her mother's knee that the key was the Shema. Israel, the Lord your God, is one, and you shall love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These Pharisees come at Jesus, it seems to me, with grad school questions. And Jesus, with probably a grin on his face, says, Remember what you learned in kindergarten. It reminds me of the story of Karl Barth, perhaps the greatest theologian of the 20th century. Barth spent his life writing his magnum opus called The Church Dogmatics, 14 volumes, 17,000 pages, millions of words. He was asked, he was approached by an interviewer towards the the end of his life and asked what his greatest theological discovery was. I think his questioner expected him to trot out his groundbreaking interpretation of the Trinity, perhaps the hypostatic nature of Christ, maybe to use a big word like eschatology. Bart looked at his questioner and said, my greatest discovery, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Remember what you learned in kindergarten, says Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the center of the Jewish faith. Remember what Deuteronomy said. And these words which I command to you this day shall be upon your heart, as you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you enter your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you rise. This is the heart of religion and the heart of reality. God is the center and source, not our own wishes or wants or projects. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and soul, and mind, and strength. Remember what you learned in kindergarten. 
But if we're to think this is supposed to be easy or comfortable, we have to think again. While Jesus is always full of love, he's not always full of comfort. Jesus here is combining the Jewish Shema with another commandment, another commandment from that very enjoyable and very entertaining book of the Bible known as Leviticus. Leviticus was like a priest handbook on how to be holy and right, and how to be holy, and right in the middle of the book, there's a commandment that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And neighbor in the book of Leviticus is taken to mean widow, orphan, outsider, and fellow Israelite. Love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus, our love of God, our love for the one we cannot see, is totally bound up with the neighbor, with the one we can see. As I was reading up on this passage, preparing this sermon, I came across another sermon preached by John Wesley at Oxford University in 1741 on this passage, a sermon he entitled, the almost Christian, the almost Christian. In that sermon, he says that the almost Christian is sincere and does nothing which the gospel forbids. And there is a form of godliness in this, he says. But the absolute Christian includes the love of God, love of neighbor, and faith that works by love. An absolute Christian pulls it all together such that love of God and love of neighbor converge into one love. Jesus, it seems to me, doesn't want any half-baked, half-baptized Christians. Because as Wesley says, the church is full of almost Christians who have not gone all the way with Christ. And when you think about it, it makes pretty good sense. We wouldn't want to go to an almost financial planner or an almost heart surgeon or an almost pilot. Some have placed other rules or laws in the place of love. They'd rather be right than filled with righteous love. Right belief, right politics, right schools. All the while, while trying to be right, we might be missing the boat when it comes to love. We've all heard the quip, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? To which I, I usually reply, I thought those were the same thing. This morning's gospel is a variation on that question. Would you rather be right or would you rather love? Because in the end, being right doesn't serve the poor, it doesn't heal the wounded or hold the broken, and it doesn't change the world, and it certainly doesn't change our hearts. Love does, though. Love does what? Well, it loves. And to love totally and utterly and completely, that's what it means to be a saint. And it sounds so hard, but there it is, the great commandment. Because in loving, it's we who are changed. But I don't want to end this sermon with a command to love. You all know this command. We all know that we 
should love God, we should love our neighbors. I don't want to end with a command to do that. Because in the end, it seems to me Christianity is not a command, but a promise. A friend of mine recently pointed out something about the little word shall in the commandments. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. She reminded me that with this word shall, the future isn't up for grabs. Shall state something that will be true. What if we read this great commandment as a great promise instead? Because in the end, I think that's what it is. The promise is this, that these weary feet of faith, these fragile wings of hope that move each of us along, will in the end come to love God in the last, the way that he's loved us from the beginning, loved us even in the wilderness of our clumsy attempts at love. He has loved us there, especially there. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, as you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you enter your house and when you walk by the way and when you rise. And rise you shall, even as Christ has risen into the fullness of God's presence. That is the promise, the great promise tucked within the command that Jesus writes on our hearts this morning. This is just an extended commentary on the second sentence of our opening collect. That we may gain your promise, let us love what you command. You, God, are love, and in commanding us to love, it's only so that we receive and live and breathe in the promise of you.